You're listening to Connection Church's podcast. What's up, church? Everybody good? You're kind of quiet. It's six o'clock, right? It's supposed to be kind of rowdy. You've been kind of cooped up all day in the rain, and now you finally get an opportunity to let loose. So it's going to be a good service. Y'all are the smart people. You didn't come out in the crowds this morning, so you just kind of waited around. You got in, got out real easy. So you're the smart one, some. But anyway, I'm glad you're here and uh, thankful for all that God's already done um, in the, the services this morning. Thankful for what God's doing in our community. It's absolutely incredible to see everything that's going on. And so um, I expect and really believe that what the Lord put in my heart this morning as I was getting getting ready to come to church is just to come expecting. And and, uh, I'm expecting in this service as well, believing that God's going to do some incredible things in our hearts and in our lives. Um, We're going to be finishing up a series uh, called Everything Changed. And this series, uh, if you've missed it, don't worry about it. This, this message is a standalone message, so you're not, it's not like it's built up to this point. So you'll be fine if you haven't heard the other messages. But this whole series has been about how when we meet Jesus, everything changes. Everything in our life begins to change. As God gives us a new heart through the power of his Holy Spirit, then our lives begin to go a different direction. Things begin to change, and our whole life begins to look different. And so that's what this whole series has been about. Tonight, we're going to look at uh, three different people out of Acts chapter 16. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, Acts chapter 16, and we're going to look at a lady by the name of Lydia, uh, and we're going to look at a lady who was um, actually a slave, a slave girl, and and then we're going to look at the life of a jailer. And we're going to see the commonality between all three of them is that Jesus highly impacted their lives, highly changed their lives, and met them exactly where they were. What I'd like to do to start out tonight is just read uh, the first few verses there in chapter 16, and starting in verse 11, and we're going to go through to verse 15. If you'll read with me, we're going to read, then we'll pray, and then we'll get going. It says, from Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and Next, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. Let me tell you kind of what's going on. This is the Apostle Paul um, that uh, Luke is writing about in this uh, book of Acts and in this chapter. And the Apostle Paul's on one of his missionary journeys, and he's going into the city of Philippi. And in Philippi, um, we're going to read about what happens uh, as he goes and begins to minister. It says, On the Sabbath we went outside the city, gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to stay or to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So let's pray and we'll get into it. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity, God, to be here in your presence. Thank you for the opportunity to uh, be in your word. I, God, I, I just thank you that it is living and active, that it does speak to our hearts. God, I thank you that you're alive. I thank you that the tomb is still empty. God, that, that, that you're a living God who speaks to our hearts today and who wants to work in our hearts tonight. God, we just come to you and ask you to do the very thing that you do, and that's change us to make us more like Jesus. And so, God, we give you the next few minutes. We open our hearts to you and ask you to come and to do 
a great work in us so that you can do a great work through us that it all be for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, how many of you can remember a time in your life, and you can probably remember several if you took time to think about it, but a time in your life when something happened and in that moment everything changed? Can you think of something like that? Um, I've had a lot of those times when um, something would happen and everything would change, some of them good, some of them bad. Uh, I can remember uh, when my wife told me she was pregnant with our first child. It was like, (gasps) all of a sudden life got really real and responsibility got to be a lot bigger. and, and I remember that everything changed. I can remember uh, when I, I got my first car. Like, how many of you remember when you got your first car? Did not everything change? It was awesome for a while until you had to start paying for the gas you put in it, right? And then it became uh, uh, something you're like, I'll just ride with my parents, right? And so I remember my first car. It was a 1983 Honda Accord. It was gray, and the whole rear end was rusted out of it. And we called it the Gray Ghost because it just somehow it just kept on going, right? And I can remember getting in the car and I would crank it up and I'd start driving down the road and, and it was like this. It was like steering, the steering was so bad and you know, it was constantly moving the steering wheel, the whole thing was shaking, but it got me from point A to point B. But I remember that changed my life. I mean, it was a big deal, right, to begin to drive. The other thing I can remember, I can remember things like when the space shuttle exploded back in the 80s. I know I'm dating myself somewhat, but I can remember being a, a child and that happening and and, and just feeling this sense of heaviness and this um, sense of tragedy that at that age I'd never really felt before. And I can remember that. I can remember uh, exactly where I was when uh, people started flying airplanes into buildings on 9-11 of 2001. I can remember exactly where I was in that moment. And we know that that moment changed all of our lives forever. And so when we look at this, there's things in our lives that change us, and they change us forever. And the thing that we need to see is that when we come into a relationship with Jesus, it changes us, and it changes us forever. It changes us to become more like him. He gives us a new heart. Our lives begin to take a different direction. See, it's impossible for us to come into a relationship with Jesus and not change. It's impossible for us to begin to follow him and not be different. Because when we come into this relationship with us, he does change everything. Everything begins to change. And when we look at this lady named Lydia, it's interesting to me how her life begins to change and we see this. But I think that we have a lot in common with Lydia. I think there's a lot in in our lives that, that we have in common with her. Because see, she was a lady who was pretty well off. And not everybody in here is is rich by American standards, but here's the thing I do know, we're rich by the world standards. We've got got so much of of the things that we need. And this lady, she was pretty affluent. We know this because she was a dealer in purple cloth, and in those days that was a pretty good lucrative business. We also know this because she had a house that was big enough to host Paul and all of his companions. So she had some means. But something in her was still not satisfied. Think about this. She had means, and yet she still wasn't completely satisfied. She was still looking. The Bible tells us about Lydia in that passage we just read that she was a worshiper of God. What that means is she was a Gentile. She was a non-Jew. And she was a worshiper of God. She had begun to worship the way the Jews worship. She began to worship the God the Jews worship. And so she was um, worshiping in that way. So she was seeking God. She was um, passionately seeking God. And so there was something in her. She had tried this religious um, 
or religion, but she had not found something that would completely satisfy her yet. And so we see in Lydia a couple of things. She had everything she could possibly need, but she still needed something. She had been religious, but there was still something missing. And I wonder how many of us are in that place. Even in this crowd, there are people here today that you may have everything physically, everything materially that you could think of, but there's still something missing because you can't have everything and still be missing something. In this crowd, there's people who you've been very religious in your life. Maybe you've done the religious thing. And when I talk about religion, what I'm meaning is you've had the rules without a relationship with God. You've gone through the motions, you've been in church, you've been in the Bible study, you've been in the, the Sunday school, maybe you were in the, the VBSs and you did all of those things, but you still found yourself unsatisfied. And see, that's where many of us have found ourselves because so many times we go through the motions of religion, but we miss the whole point, which is Jesus. And the thing that we want to do tonight is to elevate Christ so much that you see him, that you encounter him, and that he begins to be the reason that you do the things that you do. See, so many times what happens to us is we begin to try to change ourselves on the outside, hoping it will change the inside. The problem with that is it works exactly the opposite. God has to change the inside so that then the outside can change. We look at it this way. If I can pick off the bad fruit from my life, maybe it's going to change the tree. But the reality of it is you have to change the tree before the fruit's going to change. And that's what Jesus does, is he begins to change us. And the reality for us, guys, is listen, until we come into this relationship with Jesus, one, life is not going to make sense, and two, life is never going to satisfy us. We can have everything we need materially. We can be blessed materially and still be missing something. We can go through all the religious motions and still be empty. I remember when I was about, I guess I was probably 10 years old, 10, 11 years old, my family and I, we went on a ski trip, and we didn't have a lot of money. My mom and dad sacrificed a lot for us to go on this trip, and I took a friend with me, and we went to West Virginia skiing. We went out to eat one night, and we went to this restaurant. We thought it was just like this burger joint, right? And so we go into this restaurant, and all of a sudden we realize we're like in a five-star restaurant. And so we end up being seated. I sit down. I've never been in a restaurant like this before. I'm starting to sweat because I don't know what to do. And I realize I'm highly outclassed in this restaurant. We sit down and there's like forks all lined up. There's, there's knives and spoons and cups and dishes. And I'm like, I don't even know what to do. Right. And, and I was like, I'm just thinking I wanted a hamburger. And, and we had a waiter that stood there looking at us the whole time. He just like stood there with a towel on his arm just staring at us. And that was kind of creepy. He got an attitude when I asked for ketchup. I was like, there goes your tip, buddy. Right? And, 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 and then we go through all this stuff, all the, the motions of this five-star restaurant. And then they bring out, finally, I was like, I just want a steak. Just bring me a steak. And they bring out the steak. And it was like that big around. It was like that big, and I was like, where's the rest of the cow, right? And, and the reality was I ate that steak, I ate it, and it was good, but the problem was I still wasn't satisfied. See, what was there on the plate, what they gave me, wasn't enough to satisfy the appetite that I had. And the reality for us, guys, is this, that until we come into a relationship with Jesus, until we begin to feast uh, upon what he offers us, then we'll never be satisfied. 
will never possibly be satisfied with anything else. Nothing else can possibly do what God designed us for him to be able to do for us and for him to be able to do for us only. And so we see with Lydia where we have a lot of things in common with her in many ways. See, when you live in this religious life, what begins to happen is first you start to become frustrated. And you become frustrated because you're doing all of these rules and all of these things, but you're doing them with missing the key ingredient, which is Christ. And so it leads to frustration. And then it begins to lead to disillusionment because you begin to think, man, this was, I was told this was gonna bring so much and it was so promising, it was gonna do so much for me and it was gonna be such a great thing, but it's not doing for me what I thought it was gonna do. In fact, it feels more like a burden than it does something that gives me life. And then pretty soon we come to a point of burnout. I can't tell you how many people come to church and they, they begin to attend here and they, they say, I, I just don't want to do anything. I just want to sit for a while. I just need to sit. I just need, need some time to, to soak it in because I'm, I'm just tired. I'm burned out. And see, when we're missing Jesus, our service to God is like taking a pile of dirt that's over here, moving it over there, and then taking a pile of dirt from over there and moving it back over here and just doing it over and over again with seemingly no purpose. And we end up just being burned out. And the last thing it does is it ends up leaving us cynical. So that in many ways, we're worse off than we were when we began. Because we begin to wonder, is this even a truth? Is this even real? Because I'm doing the things, I'm going through the motions of what everybody's telling me I should be doing. Got the right Bible. I'm listening to the right music. I'm going to all the events. I'm doing all the things. But it's not doing for me what I was promised. Because so many times what happens is we go through the motions without Jesus, without the relationship with him. And so I want you to see tonight that Lydia had everything but she was missing something and Jesus met her where she was and provided the one thing, himself, that would bring satisfaction to her life. The next one there in verse 16, is this slave girl. It says in verse 16, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. We see with this slave girl a little bit of a different story, a very different background. She was of the, really the lowest of the low. See, in that culture, one of the realities was a woman was not looked upon very favorably. They were already low. A slave was looked at lower even than a woman. And so when you take this and make this a female slave, she was on the lowest rung socially. She was not high up on the ladder. And so we see a lady who had nothing, she owned nothing, she didn't even own her own life. But she was owned by someone else, doing their work, being exploited by these men. And I wonder, how many of us maybe in some ways find ourselves where this woman was? Find ourselves in some type of bondage to something. Find ourselves uh, being strapped to something, a sin 
being strapped in bondage to maybe an addiction. And yet the thing I see in this encounter that Paul has with her is that with one sentence, with a few words, and the power of Jesus, this bondage is broken off of her life. And I want to encourage you tonight that that is the power of God, that is the power of Jesus, that is the power that raised Jesus from the grave, is the same power that is available to us today to work in our lives and in our hearts to deliver us from those things that hold us in bondage. I'm glad somebody said amen because I'm about to die up here. I'm trying hard, but I feel like I got a train strapped in my back right now. Y'all got to come home. And, and, and the reality is this, that, that, that Jesus is able to break that bondage off of our lives. Sometimes God delivers us through a process as we follow Jesus. And sometimes he does it instantaneously where it's like, bam, and everything begins to change. And it's just like automatically we're a different person and everything's gone and that, that bondage is gone. And sometimes we see it gradually, whereas we follow Jesus one step at a time, he leads us into freedom. And the reality of what we will always see, and this is always going to be true, is that when we follow Jesus, we always end up more free than we were. He never leads us into bondage, he leads us into freedom. And see, some of us, we've been bound up with some type of addiction to drugs. Maybe we've been bound up to some type of dependency on alcohol. Maybe we've been bound up with a dependency on prescription drugs. Maybe we've been bound up with this, this uh, addiction to pornography. Maybe we've been bound up with an addiction with, with sex and, and, and just this sexual addiction. Maybe we've been bound up with sexual immorality and sin in our life that we seem to not be able to, to get control of. Maybe Maybe it's our tongue. Maybe we're gossips and we can't seem to control our tongue. God can even help gossips, believe it or not. The reality of it is this, though, guys, listen. That when we begin to follow, he does begin to set us free. He does break those chains. There's nothing that is so powerful that Jesus can't overcome it. And Jesus is still doing this today. He's still working in people's lives. See, this lady, she was in bondage to, to Satan, yes, Satan had his claws in her. He was dictating her life, controlling her life. But she was also in bondage to people. How many of us today are in some type of bondage, some type of, of uh, even identity crisis because of something that someone is doing or has done in our lives? Maybe it was just cruel words that were spoken to us at some period in our life that have stuck with us, stuck to us, and have made us begin to see ourselves in a certain way that is untrue according to the word of God. And see, when we talk about all of these different ways that we can be trapped one of the biggest ways is according to what other people say and do to us in our life. Because we can easily begin to see ourselves according to what they have shown us. How about events in our lives? See, some people in here tonight, you would define yourself according to an event. See, some people in here, if you were asked, well, what's the biggest thing in your life? Well, I'm divorced. I'm an adulterer. I did this, I did that, this is my life, this is my identity, this is who I am. And so in a way, you're in bondage to some event in your life. And when you walk in tonight, what I want you to see and what I want you to understand is I don't bring these sins up to tell you, uh, to, to bring you into condemnation. I don't tell you these things uh, to, to beat you over the head with them and, and tell you to get better. 
telling you these things because there's a God in heaven who can not only forgive them but deliver you from them. I'm telling you these things because that's what Jesus does. He sets us free from these things that hold us back. And here's the thing I can tell you, if you don't believe me, try it. But don't try some half-hearted religion where you go through the motions. I'm telling you, if you're gonna do it, go all in, trust Jesus and follow him and see if your heart doesn't change and your life doesn't begin to look differently. And so when we look at this, I want you to see this. I want you to understand this. See, so many times we understand, John, we hear John 3.16, and probably most of you in here could quote John 3.16. You watch a sporting event, you always see the guy with the sign that says John 3.16. I'm like, how many people get saved watching the Super Bowl with the guy who has the sign that says John 3.16? But if that's what he's doing, I mean, that's fine, right? But we never really talk about John 3.17. Or it says that Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. So many times when we think about the struggles of our life, all we think about is the condemnation that comes with it. We don't think about the fact that there is a Savior who came so that we wouldn't be condemned, but we'd be set free. So that we could be forgiven. So that we could walk in the freedom of this. And if you want to really talk about what Easter's about, it's about Jesus overcoming sin. It's about Jesus overcoming death. And it's about the power of the resurrection that's available to every single one of us who have put our faith in Christ so that we no longer have to be bound by anything that's not of God. Jesus is still doing this. He's still working in this way. And I want you to see a testimony tonight. I want you to watch a video of someone in this church that God did that very thing. He's changed their heart. He's changed their direction. And step by step, he has delivered them from addiction and he's setting them free. And so I want you to check out this video. show you, I'm taking you to where um, I guess my little journey started, my little road to recovery all began. New Beginnings in Christ is a, it's a drug and alcohol, I guess you could say rehab or recovery program. You work for the program, I mean, um, they'll have some people that might be doing landscaping, they'll have some people that might be building the church, they'll have some folks that might be working in the pecan plant. My job was, uh, I was the cook, and we ate very well. Hence my magnificent figure that I currently maintain. Hi, my name is Mike Ogden. I am pastor here at New Beginnings in Christ. I also um, assistant direct Donald Joanna Atkinson. Obviously, our goal at New Beginnings in Christ, first of all, is to make sure every gentleman that comes to our door knows Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. 
Um, I tell them all the time, been telling them for five years, if you come here simply just to get free of drugs and or alcohol and just get clean, um, then you may as well leave now. Give somebody else your bid, uh, give somebody else a chance to have salvation. However, beyond that, um, we want to make sure they do get dried up, stop doing drugs, stop drinking alcohol. Uh, go live a productive life. Be a great member of society, a church, their family. Be the husband they should have always been, the brother, the son, the father, the community leader, the worker, whatever. So they can't do that drugging and drinking. My childhood is what kind of makes this story so strange, to be honest with you, because the way I grew up is so far from the way I sort of ended up, up until this point. I started kind of battling a little bit of depression, started going to a doctor, and I think that a lot had to do with the fact that I was just, not necessarily alone, but I just was a miserable wreck. I started getting in shape, and I tear up my shoulder and tear up my knee within four months of one another, and here comes the onslaught of prescription narcotic pills, and knowing the way it made me feel, it just went, it spiraled out of control in a hurry. Um, at certain points, I was going through anywhere from $500 to $1,000 a day, buying them illegally off the street from people that I knew. I lost everything that I'd ever worked for. I lost my house, I lost my career, I lost everything. We're not naive to the fact that we're hurting mama or daddy, or brother, sister, wife, cousins, aunts, uncles. We're not naive to that. And the only way we know how to cope with it is to keep doing it because it hurts us so much. It's either that or swallow a bullet. I mean, and, and it got that close for me. I mean, I'm sitting in my house one night with a gun in my mouth, scared to put the clip in it, pulling it back just so I can feel the click without the bullets in it, just so I can know what the thing tastes like, just in case I got enough gumption to do it again while it was loaded. You know, it's one thing to have material possessions get ripped up from out of the ground. Well, when you, when you burn bridges with your family and friends and stuff like that, that's stuff that, that's a pain that you can't just fix with a pill. I don't know how long he had been here. He, he might can help me here with the, with the timing because there's so many of them. I can't remember all the numbers. But he had been here for a while um, doing his thing, you know, like everybody else. Um, maybe growing, maybe not. I don't know that we were sure. Um, but he was sitting about midways in our chapel. Uh, on, but one particular service, I think it was on a Thursday night, if I'm not mistaken. And he just... Something happened. We had a speaker, uh, Tony Thompson was here, and he was playing the guitar, and, I, and he hadn't even started singing yet. And all of a sudden, you know, it's like he hit a lick, and I just start sobbing. I mean, I, I'd, been, I'd gotten so far, I was, I think it, the, all that brokenness was starting to come out, and I just start crying like a baby. It was uncontrollable crying, and I walked down to the altar, and I just kind of started laying some stuff out and praying, and, and I sobbed my way back to my seat and stand here for about another five or six minutes, and. My roommate's looking at me like, you all right? I'm like, no. 
I said, look out. And I went back up. He said, where are you going? I said, I'm going back up there. I guess I ain't done yet. So I get back up there. And I guess that's kind of where it all happened. You know, I put my face down on the floor up there. And I remember it because it was like when I came up, when I, when I lifted my head up that second time, it felt like I had been swimming underwater and holding my breath for 35 years. And finally, I was able to catch my breath for the first time in my life. I don't know what it was that I had held on to that had kept bringing me down. It was like, it was like he told me, if you'll just let go of all this stuff, I'm about to rock your world in a way that you have no idea about. I'm fixing to change everything. Uh, the Holy Spirit just kind of, you know, got his attention. Um, I mean, he came forward, he went back to his seat. I think he came back again, forward, and but he just, he just bawled. And uh, I mean, he just, it was like a meltdown. Something just happened, you know, but uh, he got it. And from that point on, uh, what had been like a gradual thing really took off. Mike Ogden, who's the pastor here at New Beginnings, he, um, he had sort of thrown a challenge out to uh, the guys when I first got here that he wanted everybody to write their epitaph or something on their tombstone. And I kind of wanted to make it look official for me, so I uh, had the brilliant idea of writing an obituary. I, I guess it was a way of, I want to say once and for all, burying that old guy. You know, I mean, I'm not naive to the fact that that old guy could show up at any given moment, but I'm also naive, not naive to the fact that, you know, God's promise is that I'm free of that as long as I want to be, as long as I follow him, that there's, you know, if I take hold of that, then there's no way that old guy can flare back up. Let's see here. Gregory Greg Grego Wiley passed away yesterday, March 30th, 2013, at the age of 36. I knew I wouldn't be able to get through it. Beloved son to Linda of Linda Wiley of Augusta and Larry Wiley and Diane Wiley, stepmother of Swanee, best friend and brother to Seth Thompson, Wiley stepbrother of Jared and Sean Hannafin. He was known for years to always brighten the mood of those who he was around and it was rare for him to never have a smile on his face and for the vast majority of his life. Never afraid to help his friends or family, he spent a lot of his time focused on doing whatever he could to be successful and lend a hand when and where he could. Unfortunately, his last few years were quite troublesome and problematic. His parting words were, I don't want to die, but I do think everyone would be better off if I wasn't around anymore. What a way to go, huh? Not with a hug and a kiss, but instead a giant slap to the face of all those who loved him. He will be missed. Unfortunately, he'll never know just how much. In lieu of flowers, the family asked it for all to do nothing. He had quit doing anything for himself for quite some time. And that's it. That was the old guy. I'm, I mean, I'm not ashamed of that guy. I really am not. I wouldn't take any of this, any of what I've done without, the only part that I would take back is the pain that I caused everybody else. I would go through every ounce of hurt that I physically had to go through, everything that I lost, I would go through it again if it got me back to where I am right now. 
You know, I love going to Uganda, Africa every year and doing work over there. I've got a ministry in Jacksonville. Uh, I'd go start another ministry if I had to. If it wasn't for seeing people like Greg Wiley come through the program and get it. Because you know what I know, everybody knows, drugs and or alcohol affects everybody. They're in the family, even probably in your church connection, that in some way, shape or form is not affected by drugs and or alcohol, almost directly, if not indirectly, but some family members, drugging or drinking, it's just reality. And if there was no Greg Wiley's going out there and becoming productive citizens and productive church members, uh, I would seriously uh, say, Lord, it's time for me to do something else. So I wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for the Greg Wiley. Shout it out and release it from the heart. I guess I have found my purpose. I've, I've actually got more hope as far as my life is concerned. I'm a work in progress, and I'm, and I'm all right with that. Whereas I used to work, work, sit there and wonder, is this the day that I'm going to wreck it all? You know, I'd get a little time under my belt. Am, am I going to screw it all up today? Is this the day that I take all this good and just throw it away for one bad decision? I don't worry about that anymore because my hope is in Christ and my hope is in the fact that I know that if I do exactly what I did yesterday, today, if I do it just a little bit more, that I absolutely 100% cannot fail. I cannot go back to that guy. I used to beat myself up for my circumstance. I used to beat myself up for where I was in life. But now I embrace the fact that the, the struggles, the pain, the heartache, all that made me who I am. And if going through that brought me to this point, this is gonna be one heck of a comeback story and I'm not gonna have to read about it, I'm getting to live it. And everybody loves a comeback story. Well, amen. <clears throat> Jesus still delivers people. Jesus still breaks the chains off of people's lives. He still leads them to freedom. And we see that not only in the slave girl's life, but in Greg's life and in millions of people's lives who have encountered Christ throughout the years. The last person we're going to look at is a jailer. And this jailer uh, actually encounters Paul and a guy with him named Silas. He encounters them because once they cast out this um, evil spirit from this girl, she's no longer predicting the future. She's no longer doing these things. It costs her owners a lot of money. They take Paul and Silas and they bring them before um, a mob of people. They end up getting them thrown in jail. And this jailer takes them to the center of the cell and he puts them in stocks and they're, they're in this um, dingy, nasty, dirty cell. But the Bible says that they were praying and singing hymns and then all of a sudden there's this earthquake that happens and the place is shaken and the stocks come loose and the gates are open. And it says that this jailer is about to fall on his sword because he is ashamed. He knew the shame that would come along with having let these, these prisoners escape. But Paul cries out to him and tells him, don't do it, we're all still here. And so he calls for lights. And then I want to pick up with what it says here in the text. In verse 29, the jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked... Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So here's this man, this jailer, who 
is feeling the weight of his sin, he realizes that my life needs a savior. Someone needs to save me. Verse 31, it says that they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house, his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer then took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. And I'll tell you a little bit about this jailer. So this jailer would have been most likely a Roman soldier. He had been someone who had been in battle. He, he had seen things. He had been around this prison. He had seen death. He wouldn't have been some soft guy, right? He would have been a pretty tough individual to do what he's doing. And yet this hardened heart was no match for the power of Jesus. There's no match for the power of the Holy Spirit. And when he began to feel the weight of his sin, he recognized that he needed a savior. He cries out to Paul, he cries out to Silas. They tell him the good news and Jesus breaks that hard shell that was over his heart. And he comes to faith. And it's awesome to see, even in just the little bit that we know about this jailer, this transformation, because it says that he began to wash their wounds. See, what's amazing to me is this guy went from a wound inflictor to a wound cleanser, a wound healer, like that. And see, Jesus can break the hardest heart. I know he can do it because he did it to my heart. I can tell you this, that I used to pride myself in being hard and being someone that, that was unemotional. I realized that if you love, you have a big chance of being hurt. And so I put up walls around my heart so that no one would get in. And I thought that I was big and bad. I thought that, I, I, that no one could change that. I thought that no one could do anything about it. And then on April 1st of 2000, in a group of about 50 men, had an opportunity to go to the altar. And all I can tell you, I don't even know why I went. I was, I was so cynical. Even as I was going, I was cynical. I remember sitting in my chairs and they were passing tissues up and down the rows of these chairs as we were in there praying. And I looked and I was like, are y'all a bunch of girls? Why do you need these tissues? And I remember getting out of my seat, I went to the altar, and as I began to pray, my voice began to crack, and as my voice began to crack, I'm telling you, something cracked over the hard shell on my heart, and God came in, and he humbled me, and he broke me, and he changed me, and this is what I can tell you, I'll never be the same again. I'll never be the same again. Not because of what I've done, but because of what he's done for me, because of what he's done in me, because how he's transformed my life. And this is what I want you to get. Life is not found in religious activity. Life is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is what I know, I felt, I felt this in my heart all day long. 
some of you are in here right now and you think one of two things. There is no possible way God can touch me as far as I've run from him. There's no possible way he can do anything in my heart because of all that I've done. And I'm telling you right now, you're dead wrong. You cannot outrun the grace of God. And his arm is never too short to save you, to pluck you out of whatever you're in and to give you new life. The second thing that I know that is in here is some of you think that your heart is too hard and you're even cynical about Christ. And I'm telling you again, if you think he can't break your heart of stone, you're dead wrong. All you've got to do is say yes to his invitation. And just like he broke that shell off of my heart, he will break it off of your heart. And he'll give you a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. And listen to me, you won't become perfect today, but you'll become different. You won't be a finished project, but you'll be in a process with Jesus where he's transforming you to become like him. So many people look at what I do today and they think that I've been some kind of perfect person or that even now that I'm some kind of perfect person. And what I'm telling you is I'm, it's not true. That I have issues the same as anyone else in here. I have my own struggle, my own sin, my own bondage. But I'm telling you, the God who has delivered me and is delivering me would do the same thing for you. And that's my plea for you tonight. is to open your heart and let this God in. To say yes to his invitation. Maybe for you, you used to have a flame burning in your heart. And it's gone out or it's barely burning. And tonight it's just to simply say, God, rekindle that flame in my heart. Maybe for you, you've never met Christ. Now listen, I don't care if you've attended a million church services. You've never met Jesus. You've never come into a relationship with him. He's never changed your heart. He's never changed your life. And what I'm telling you tonight is that he invites you to a relationship that's life-changing and life-transforming. I hadn't done this all day, people. I'm telling you. I haven't done this all day. But today, tonight, God is trying to speak to somebody, but your heart is too hard. And I'm telling you, let down the walls, knock them down, let him in. Because he would do for you what he's done for me and for millions of others. I was sitting back there on my knees during that video. And all week, all week long or all day long, it feels like a week. I've spent more time on the woman, Lydia, and on the slave girl. And God spoke to my heart while I was kneeling. And he said, I want you to talk about the jailer. And there's someone in here today, tonight, that that's who you identify with. Is this man whose heart's so hard. And yet God is slowly melting that away. And the cynicism is going to go. And the reality of God is going to come.
and you're going to be transformed. You are going to be transformed. See, there's some things that the woman, Lydia, and the slave girl and the jailer have in common. They were all from different backgrounds, right? They were all very different people. Yet Jesus met them where they were. In some way, they were all despised. See, you had a woman who was despised in this culture. You had a slave girl who was despised, the lowest of the low. You have a Roman um, jailer who would have been despised by the Jews. In some ways, they were all despised, and yet Jesus met them where they were. See, Jesus will meet you where you are tonight as well. You have three people very different. And yet they all found the thing that they needed in Christ. Why? Because he's the one thing that we all need. The one thing that we can't have life without. Another thing that they all had in common, none of them expected to be saved that day. And it doesn't say in here that the slave girl was saved, but everything I've read, everything I've studied says that the way it was written and the fact that this slave girl's story is, is sandwiched in between the story of Lydia and the story of, uh, of the jailer would indicate that she too was saved, baptized, and became a part of this church in Philippi. But regardless, the thing that we see is the power of Jesus to set us free. But we see with the other two very clearly that they weren't expecting salvation. They didn't wake up that morning and go, I think I'm going to get saved today. And many of you, you didn't wake up this morning and think, I'm going to get saved today. They didn't wake up that morning and expect to be baptized. That's not what they were thinking. That's not what they were expecting. But they were baptized. And tonight, the thing that I want to ask you first is this. Have you come into a relationship with Jesus as your Savior? If not, then tonight is your chance. Today, tonight can be the day of salvation for you. Do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? Has he changed your heart? Have you encountered his power? If not, then tonight, I'm telling you, it's real. It's here. All you've got to do is receive it. He's done all the work. That's why he cried out on the cross. It is finished. Because it was done. All you've got to do is receive it. And tonight, if you've never done that, you've never received him as your Lord and Savior, then here's your opportunity. Here's your chance. I don't know what your life's been like before. I don't know what it's going to be like from here on, but I can tell you this is the biggest decision you'll ever make in your eternity. If you've never said yes to him, but tonight the Lord is speaking to your heart and today is the day of salvation for you, then this is what I want you to do. I want you to be bold enough to raise your hand right now and say, I want to know Christ. I want to receive him today. Who in here today knows that today is the day of salvation and you would say, that's what I want. That's what I need. It's a relationship with Jesus. While you're pondering that, you can still raise your hand. I want to ask you another question. 
The next thing that they had in common was that they were baptized. Lydia and this jailer were baptized. And all throughout the book of Acts, it records all these salvations. And typically what it says is they were saved and immediately they were baptized. They were baptized. Have you been baptized as a believer in Jesus Christ? Because everywhere we see it in scripture, when people are baptized, they're baptized because of their faith in Jesus. Their faith, not the faith of someone else, but their faith. Have you been baptized as a believer, as a follower of Christ? See, when you come to the baptismal waters, one of the things that you're saying is that Jesus is my Lord. Another thing you're saying is that I put my faith in him as my savior. Another thing that you're doing is you're symbolically going under the water and coming back up, signaling the fact that you were spiritually dead, but now you've come to spiritual life. The water shows the cleansing power of Jesus' sacrifice. All of these things are taking place, but I also want to be very clear that the water does not save you. It's your faith in Jesus that saves you. You can come up here and get baptized, but if you don't have faith in Christ, you're just a wet sinner bound for hell. I don't know how else to put it. Have you been baptized as a follower of Jesus? Let me tell you, I'm going to give you three questions to answer that will tell you if you need to be baptized as a follower of Jesus. It's not so that you'll you know, go to heaven. It's so that you'll be obedient to what God tells us to do in Scripture. The first one is this, have I said yes to Jesus as, the save, as my Savior? Have I put my faith in Him as the Savior of my life? Have I put my faith in Him as my Savior? The second one is this, have I surrendered to Him as the Lord of my life? Have I surrendered to Him as the Lord of my life? The third one is this, have I been baptized as a believer in Jesus? So here they are. Have I surrendered to him as the Lord of my life? Have I put my faith in him as my savior? And have I been baptized as a believer in Jesus? If your answers to those questions are yes, yes, no, then your next step is baptism, period. According to scripture, this is one of the next steps that you don't even really need to pray about because it's so clear in his book. So have you been baptized as a follower of Christ? Have you said yes to him as your Lord and Savior? Because tonight we're going to baptize people. Some of you got up this morning, you're expecting to be baptized. Some of you are like Lydia. Some of you are like Lydia and the jailer and you weren't expecting it. And that's okay. You didn't come prepared, but we're going to prepare you because what we're going to do is take away everything, every distraction that could possibly keep you from saying yes to your next step of faith, which is baptism. So we're putting you eye to eye with Jesus and letting you respond to what he leads you to do. Because see, you didn't come prepared, but we're gonna prepare you because we've got things like towels, right? That you can dry off with. We've got things like shorts that you can wear. And don't worry guys, we are not gonna put you in these hip huggers. Not only do you not wanna wear them, we don't wanna see you wear them. All right, so we've got the shorts. Let's see what else we got. We got sports bras, right? If I don't start working out, I'm going to need one of those. 
We've got underwear. Guys, you can take the underwear home with you to replace those that are, you're wearing that are disintegrating, right? You can wear, have a new pair of underwear. And we, this is kind of embarrassing, but we've got things for the ladies too, right? And so we got you covered. There's not, listen, there's, we've got everything you could possibly need back there for you to say yes to Jesus. But now is the moment when you have to make that decision. And we're not going to pressure you. Listen, if you say today's not the day, that's awesome. We're just giving you the opportunity to respond to what the Lord prompts you to do. And so if today is the day that you say, I know I'm supposed to be baptized, then I'm going to count to three. And on three, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. And we're going to celebrate. We're going to blow the roof off of this place. I want Statesboro to see a mushroom cloud because of the praise that comes from this place because of people who have gone from death to life in Christ and tonight are gonna publicly profess that in these waters. So I'm gonna count to three and then you respond. One, two, three. You know tonight is the night for you to be baptized. Listen, if you're here and, and, uh, and you stood up, this is what, obviously, if you're, you're, you're here, if you did stand up. So what I'm going to ask you to do is to walk back to the back. We're going to have some people meet you in the atrium, and they're going to take you and help you take your next step. Listen, if you are in middle school or high school and you responded, that's awesome. But I want you to talk with your parents. We're going to talk with everybody back there about the decision that they're making and about the decision that, that they've made to be baptized. So we want that to be something that we do with everyone so that we're sure of, of this decision. For the rest of us, listen, we're going to go a little bit over, but I'm telling you it's worth it. It is worth it. I'm going to ask you right now, if you will, would you stand up with me? We're going to worship God. We're going to sing a couple of songs together. Then we're going to do these baptisms, and we're going to celebrate together what God has been doing all day long, what God has been doing in millions of people's lives throughout the years, throughout eternity. So I want to pray for us, and then the worship team is going to lead us. Jesus, we come to you and thank you for everything you do. Right now, God, we exalt you in this place. We love you, God. We praise you for who you are and what you do. God, may you be exalted. May you be exalted. In your name we pray, amen.